0: Welcome to the Finding a Job Podcast, a Ben J. Schaap, LLC production. In this podcast, we share the stories of world-class business leaders as they discuss their professional journeys, job search strategies, and tactics that have led them to career success. If you're looking to find a fulfilling, well-paying career path, this podcast will unearth the tools and tips you need to expedite your learning curve and avoid common roadblocks that face people entering the working world. Now here's the host of the Finding a Job podcast, Jacob Billings. Welcome to the Finding a Job podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Billings. Joining us today is Richard Blaney, a marketing student currently coming up to his third year at Queen Mary University London. His main area of interest is sales, specifically in the sports industry. He's also working on becoming a professional golfer, which is another potential career aspiration. So it's great to have you on the podcast today, Richard.
1: Thanks very much. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here.
0: Yeah. So the contrast between working in sales and then potentially becoming a professional golfer is pretty drastic. Can you talk more to that?
1: It is. Yeah. I mean, I personally don't see a conflict with both of them because I think the two of them could potentially go hand in hand. I've worked on becoming a golfer since I was younger, but I always knew that I needed to have something else to fall back on. So rather than putting all my eggs in one basket when I was younger, you know, I decided to go to university, study marketing, try and look at a different area of interest. And then sales came about in the middle of my degree because I took a sales course and realized that sales is definitely more for me than marketing is. And so the first golf would come first in terms of aspiration. And when I've graduated, I plan on putting all of my effort into that for the next two or three years afterwards. But then if that doesn't come together, then sales would definitely be the next best thing and potentially to merge the two as well.
0: Interesting. Do you feel that there's a way to combine sales and golf into the same thing? You mentioned how sports industry is where you see yourself going as a potential career path.
1: Yeah, well, I think for sure, because you look at, even if it's not playing within golf, the opportunities are endless in terms of sponsorships and the amount of tournaments there are. There's always room for sales in, well, not just in golf, but you know, as I mentioned, in the sports industry in general whether it comes to looking at trying to market up and coming players and trying to get them sort of agent style or coaching anything. So yeah, I definitely think that it could be applicable.
0: So the first thing that I ask my guests is what are the career paths you were considering? To me, it sounds like sports industry is where you want to head, regardless of whether that's you being the actual golfer or you being in some sort of sales thing, like you said, correct? Yeah, that's right. Cool. Could you expand a little bit more about that? Are you going to do some professional golf, see how good you can get within the space of a year? And then, you know, depending on that, decide, okay, I'm going to go into sales or, okay, I'm actually really good at this, I'm going to continue.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. So I'm going to give, after I graduate, when I have time to fully focus on golf and be back with my coach and playing every day, I'm going to give myself a two-year time period. I've got a coach that I've worked with before and I've already told him about what I'd like to do and he says that we can definitely look at making it work. So I'm going to give myself a two-year time period after I graduate where it's just all in on golf, playing every day, looking at video, you know, just trying to get myself to the highest possible level. After two years you know, I'll be sort of 22, 23. There'll definitely be a realistic junction in terms of how far have I progressed? Am I in the position where I can go on to pursue this? Or no, realistically, I've given it my best shot. It's not going to work. Then I would love to pursue sales. And the beauty of it is for me is that as much as being a professional golfer is the dream, sales is something I'd love to do as well. And for sure, as I kind of alluded to earlier, even if I couldn't play golf, I would definitely look at going into sales in that industry. So yeah, that's the plan that I've got at the moment. Why sales? Sales, because it plays to my natural abilities. Everything about it, whether it comes to the competitiveness of sales, the fact that it's all about, you know, the more yield you bring, the higher your commission is. I'm a very competitive person. I've always loved sports. And actually, as my first ever sales professor summed it up quite well, that the reason he was looking to be a professional American football player and he said that the reason he chose sales is because it was the industry that was most like being a professional athlete. You know, it's highly competitive. It's doggy dog It's cutthroat. And that kind of environment suits me down to the ground. It's, it's what I'm good at. It's what I enjoy. And I also love traveling, meeting people. Basically, everything that I enjoy in life ticks all of the boxes for what would be encompassed in a, in a sales career. So that's the main reason.
0: Yeah, it's interesting to hear you say that sales is like being an athlete. And, you know, obviously, regardless of whether you become an athlete or not, it's still an interesting comparison. And then my follow-up question to that is, regardless of whether you're an athlete or not in the end, why do you feel that the sports industry is a fit for you?
1: Just because I think that in life, you really have to do something that you're passionate about and you enjoy. And I think that working within that industry something that I know I could wake up every day and say I know a lot about what I'm doing I enjoy what I'm doing and I'm passionate about what I'm doing and all of those things combined will mean that ultimately I'll be better at what I'm doing and I think that that's really important I think so many people choose a career just because someone tells them to or solely for money and you know don't get me wrong I'm I'm quite money motivated as well and that's one of the things that attracts me to sales but ultimately it's that passion and loving the area that you're in that's going to get you far because you'll stand out from everyone around you if you're really wholeheartedly doing what you like with a lot of passion, I think.
0: Yeah, like I said, again, regardless of whether you being an athlete or you being in sales, you being in the sports industry is where you want to head. So what are you doing to get experience for that? You mentioned that after you graduate, you will pursue golf but I'm also interested in the sales side of things. Have you done any sales experience? And if not, what are you doing to prep?
1: Yeah, well, so there's a few things. So this summer, I'm looking at doing a sales internship, either in London or in in Budapest in Hungary. I'm half Hungarian, so I've got a base there as well. But also, I've got a contact that's in the marketing department at Virgin. And he has mentioned to me that he's going to put me... I've been in contact with him recently... And he's gonna put me into contact with some people whose expertise is in sports marketing, although slightly different to sales, you know, I'm sure I could learn some overlap from them and then potentially get other contacts from them as well who are more on the sales side rather than the marketing. So I think it's just about, you know, expanding my network, talking to people who are experienced in those fields, just getting a feel for it and just gradually, you know, I've got time, I'm still young, so hopefully, over the next two or three years, I can build up a good repertoire of contacts who can give me the advice that I need and give me some direction in terms of where I should be going next.
0: Fair enough. Would you say it is just a case of brute force and that it's literally just going to be you doing as many internships as possible? Would you say it's that perspective of kind of force or is it the other perspective where everything is planned, things are starting to come to you? Obviously, you're 20 years old, so I don't expect you to have, you know, all the answers. But I'm just curious.
1: Yeah, I think it's probably a mixture of both because I think that people appreciate someone who really wants to get on and is really proactive in trying to achieve their goals. Because you can't wait for things, especially at my age. You know, at this stage, I'm still a nobody. You know, so it's on me to go to people to be as proactive as I can to really get myself around and make sure that I can just talk to as many people as possible, gain as many useful contacts as possible, but also to look at quality over quantity and to make sure that I'm only talking to people who are going to add value to what I want to do rather than just talking to everyone. So yeah, I think it is about brute force and talking to as many people as possible, but it's also important to make sure that those people can give me expertise in areas that are going to be relevant and useful for me going forward.
0: Yeah, I mean, it sounds like sales. It's a numbers game, but you can also improve the numbers.
1: For sure, yeah.
0: Again, just to give some context, after you've done a year of practicing golf for a year after you graduated, so what are you going to do then? Obviously, you said talk to your coach. What does networking look like for someone who wants to get into the sports industry?
1: Yeah, well, obviously, it's two paths, because if I go down the route of being a professional, then At that point, you know, if I saw after a year or two that I was getting to the point where I'm in competitions, I'm doing well, I've got my professional status well on the way to becoming a touring professional, then I would scrap the sales side because I've seen that it's going well and that would be the number one. Um, so it's going to be about balancing because I also want to make sure I'm not in a position where if after my two years, I realize that I'm not going to make it and then I haven't done anything on the sales side and then i'm in a position where i'm a bit behind so i think for the next couple of years it'll be about balancing the two so the professional golfing thing being the number one aspiration whilst also making sure i can keep up my dialogue and contacts with people in the sales area seeing if any opportunities coming up it'll be a tough one because if i'm you know wholeheartedly putting everything into golf but then say a really interesting sales internship comes up within the sports area then you know it would be tough to see what to take but one of the options i'm actually considering doing is there's many golf courses here around in spain and so what i'm considering doing is getting work at a golf shop you know either in their sales department or in the pro shop or in you know in some sort of area like that and working half the day and then training half the day and that way i'll be getting you know experience in terms of a little that's a little bit more specific to how a golf club itself is run but you know a little bit of experience in selling to people meeting people how that works while still being able to keep up my playing at the same time so
0: one thing you touched upon in the beginning of this episode was that you started off as a marketing student but quickly found that that wasn't for you and that sales was actually your area of interest was that because you found that marketing wasn't for you? Was it because you preferred sales? Like, why the change?
1: I think it's because everything that sales is, that's what, as a naive person going into university, that's what I thought marketing was. But what I've learned through all of the courses I've done and the exposure I've been given is that marketing is a lot more about sort of, you know, research, market trends, doing all that that's not me. Me is the kind of guy at the forefront, the guy who's meeting people, talking to people, interacting with people all the time. You know, I don't want to be someone in the background who's doing all of the market research. I want to be the person that's frontline, really selling the product, really getting over to the customer, having lots of interactions. So that's what caused the change. Just realizing that sales is a lot more for me than marketing is. And it took a couple of years at university to realize that
0: interesting so we know each other outside of this podcast and the way that I saw that you got into sales was because you did a sales course we would talk about marketing outside of that because we met each other in the same marketing course yeah but what was it about that professor and what he taught that inspired you to go into sales? Because we talked about this before, and I think it gives a lot of value to the audience.
1: Yeah, well, I think just the fact that his message really resonated with me. He was a really real-life guy. He had a lot of experience in sales, so he came across almost more as as just rather than a professor, just a person who's had loads of experience and who was passing his message on to us. And many of the things, even... Outside of sales, for example, his message constantly that you got to be passionate about what you do. You know, the attitude is so important, enthusiasm in order to go forward in life. I think all of those things together, with the fact that I found the everyday life of a salesman pretty much exactly to a T what I want to do. But that message as a whole just really resonated with me, and so it was a combination of how he delivered the message. You know, he was enthusiastic, just a good-hearted guy, but. I also really found myself interested in the message that he was giving and the information that he was conveying about what it takes to be good at sales and how those skills slightly differed from marketing. And I found myself fitting more into that sales arena than, than I do into marketing.
0: Fair enough. I think what you're getting at is that he really hit home on the importance of belief and you know faith about whatever it is that you're going to do.
1: Yeah, one area that I think some people sell themselves short on to kind of come off of that point is belief in yourself. Because I know so many people who, you know, are immensely talented, who are really good at what they do, really, you know, get good grades and things, but they think they have to settle. They don't think it's possible to get to the top and everything. And, you know, everyone who's at the top is there for a reason, but they're also there because they believe they could be there. And that's true whether you look at athletes, people who are in top businesses, top positions, they all had that belief. And in sports, competitiveness comes into it as well. But ultimately, that belief and couple that with the passion. And I think it's a very difficult combination to stop because you'll encounter lots of people who are very, very talented and very smart. But do they all have the same drive, passion and determination? The answer is no, a lot of them don't because they don't have that 100% faith and belief in themselves. So I think that's really a determining factor that can push someone to make them stand out from the crowd. I'm going to put you
0: on the spot here. How do you cultivate belief in yourself?
1: I think belief comes from a couple of places because yes, it can be cultivated, but it's also partially something that is either in you or it's not in the way that you're raised because you know, your upbringing has a really big effect on you. If you're constantly being nurtured, told that, you know, given chances, told that you're Good at things, and that kind of builds. It builds from a young age a self confidence, a belief, and that's what I've had. I've been lucky enough to have quite a nurturing, caring family, and you know, from a young age, they've supported me, given me opportunities to pursue what I'm good at. And seeing that, I think growing up has given me confidence to the point where now I can be focused. No, you know, have it. And there's a difference between cockiness and arrogance. I know internally my strengths and what I'm good at, but I know also not to get ahead of myself. But in terms of how can it be cultivated in addition to that i think it's really just about surrounding yourself with the right people surrounding yourself with supportive people who give you the chance to really to show off your skills because you know if you're the kind of person that's never been exposed to people who are sort of really motivating you to do better and giving you a chance to showcase your skills then you're never going to have the confidence because you haven't been putting it into practice. You need to have evidence that you know what you're doing works and what you're good at is genuinely true. And you never quite have the 100% confidence if you don't have the chance to put it into practice. So I think it's really important to gain that kind of exposure.
0: With this professor, was there anything in particular that he said or did that you can specifically recall him saying or doing?
1: Again, the thing with attitude, the one thing that he kept saying, it all comes back to... You know, you've know, got to have the attitude, you've got to have the passion, you've got to believe in what you're doing. He said that over and over again. And of course, we all know that's, that's not just applicable to sales, that's applicable to anything you're doing. But specifically in sales, an industry where you've got to have thick skin, you've got to take a million no's, you're going to be rejected over and over again. That belief drives you. Because if you don't have that belief in sales at the beginning, what do you have? Because if taking lots of no's from people at the beginning hurts, then sales and all that type of competitive industry isn't for you because it's something where it takes a long time before you can build up a repertoire, build up connections, have people trust you and believe in you. So it's that, just about having a thick skin, uh, being resilient, being able to get back up when you're knocked down. And that all comes from, at the end of the day, having that belief in yourself. So I think that that really was one of the main messages that I took away.
0: Correct me if I'm wrong, but he also had an interesting phone policy.
1: He did, yeah. (laughs) So he he wasn't a big fan of phones. He said you can take phones out if you have an important call to make, you know, there's an emergency or whatever, then you can step out of the classroom. But it was getting to a point where lots of people were on their phones all the time. And he said, right, he sort of said out of the blue, right, listen, the next phone I see out, they're going to get a letter grade deducted from their final. And, you know, amongst all the sheepish grins and sort of all the phones suddenly slowly, you know, sit off the desk and back into the bags. But it worked because for the rest of the semester, no one had a phone out. And that was only with sort of four or five weeks to go in the semester. But he always made sure everyone was engaged. So and not just to do with that, but, you know, if you were daydreaming, he'd call on you or whatever. But in a, you know, he had a sarcastic sense of humor, but it was sort of a fun engaging. So everyone was always listening. I think that was an important part of his message or how he was able to deliver it is that he made sure that everyone was always switched on.
0: Yeah, the reason I bring it up is because I watched a movie last night and it highlighted what it's like to be a professor when essentially you are spreading out your passion trying to help young people in the next generation and just everybody looking at their phones, no one being engaged. And regardless of whether the professor is good or not, regardless of whether they are good at what they do, et cetera, et cetera, it's important to learn how to have focus and how to be disciplined about that so you can not just achieve a lot, but, yeah, really get into the flow state, you know, all those sorts of things. And it's incredibly important for sales, right, because you have to be focused. You need to be listening to what the other person is telling you um, being able to handle their objections by doing the classic thing of saying yes I understand and then kind of using this yes and mentality rather than the no I'm right I have the best product etc how do you practice engagement and focus in what you do on a regular basis
1: I think in terms of focus that golf is actually a big part of that because I've got my end target, and every time I go out to practice, I've got to be, you know, when you're practicing, and when you're in the your zone, you've got to be ultra-focused on what you're doing and making sure that you're hitting every single target, and that requires all of your attention. And I take that same sort of level of focus, to, you know, whatever I'm doing, whether it be studies or even just talking to people because I actually think, and it touches upon what you said before about being engaged and listening, that I think one of the most important skills that so many people lack nowadays is listening. You know, a lot of people have a big mouth. A lot of people know how to talk. But listening is so important as well. Because so many people, when they're talking, and you can tell what they're doing is they're not actually listening to what you're saying. They're just thinking about what they want to say next. And as a result, they're missing out on a lot of what the person's saying. And in sales, that's huge. Because if you get a client and they feel that you're not just BSing them, you're actually listening to them, you're actually focused on what they're saying, taking in what they're saying, applying it, and then trying to adjust, you know, as a product, adjust the pro- whatever it is based on what they're saying, and you're taking in their information, then I think they're much more likely to respect you and listen to you and ultimately buy from you. So, I think that listening is a hugely important skill that comes with focus because you have to be able to be focused on what the person's saying and everything. So I think it's quite a broad because there's many levels of focus you know focus on an individual person, focus on your career you know there's so many different things to be focused on and I think another thing that helps me keep the focus is each day or sometimes each not always every day, but at least sort of five days a week before I go to sleep, I try to sit down and think you know, collect my thoughts, what happened during the day, what am I doing to try and get closer to, you know, my own goals and whether what I did that day or that week has been helpful or not and try to just refocus myself in that sense. So I think it's always good and it's easy for everyone to do. Everyone can take five, 10 minutes out of their day and just sit down and really try and think about what they're doing, think about, you know what the future holds what can you do in the next week month you know where do you want to be so i think that quite helps as well
0: it sounds to me like the two points that you brought up a listening and b self-evaluation you know how do you listen to people how do you actually practice what you preach if you will
1: well it sounds very simplistic but you do i mean you know you but i notice when people aren't listening to me and i don't like it naturally so i think hmm If I'm preaching to someone, they obviously don't like some loudmouth sitting there just talking and clearly not listening and giving a sod about what they're saying. I make sure eye contact is a big one. You know, when someone's talking to you, you don't want to be wandering, you don't want to be looking off. You want to make sure that you're, you know, most of the time, you know, you can look off, but most of the time, good eye contact, you know, nodding, showing that you're processing what they're saying. And then they see that you're engaged. So they want to open up more as well. If a person sees that someone's not listening, they stop caring in a way. But if they see that you're engaged and you're intent on listening to what they're saying, then it helps you get more information out of them as well. And I think that's just come over the years from my parents as well. My dad was in sales in a way. He was in the movie industry, but he bought and sold TV shows. So he's passed a lot on to me you know a lot of the things i'm saying now about being intent on listening i've learned from him as well learned a lot from him so and i think it just comes with practice you know and it's important to practice those social skills for some people who perhaps spend too much time behind the phone or behind the screen you know get off get out there talk to people whether it be in restaurants bars go up to people throw yourself in the deep end go up to random people give your pitch, you know, listen to them. It just comes with practice and throwing yourself in the deep end is a great way to do that because it's scary for anyone, even for someone like me who likes talking. Of course, it's nerve-wracking to go up and talk to someone you don't know. But doing that over and over again really gets you to a point where you master the conversation, master listening, paying attention to people, talking to different people. So I think it just comes down to a mixture of practice and having people around you who can give you little tips along the way
0: yeah a thousand percent on top of having the right people around you and actually practicing the biggest thing that has helped me is just caring about the other individual doing something as little as that helps you get out of your head and just be more in the present moment so it's great to hear all those things as it's like tangent to this heading back to you know the sports industry conversations. How do you feel about entering that industry? What excites you and you know what scares you?
1: Well, to start with the thing that excites me, it's just being in and around people in an area that has always interested me since I've been a toddler. Since I can first remember, I've always been into sports and just going into each day in an industry that I know well and love. That's the main thing that excites me. and The thing that probably scares me the most is what a massive competitive industry it is. And knowing that there's lots of other people out there like me that want to get into the sports industry that are good at what they do. They know what they're doing. They've had a good education everything. And there's so many people around the world like that. So I think sometimes the worry that will I be able to differentiate myself enough? Will I be able to make myself stand out enough to do well? I'd like to think that I can, but of course, there's no guarantees in life. So I think those are the two main things.
0: So the thing that excites you is going into your favorite thing. Yeah. Um, and what scares you is just differentiation.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: How would you differentiate yourself?
1: I think by making sure that I focus on doing all the small things correctly. And what I mean by that is you go for an interview, you go for you know anything to meet people, turn up five minutes early, dress the part, be eloquent in your speaking, firm handshake, good eye contact all those basic things nailed because you know I've talked to a few different people who work in terms of hiring people and know that quite well. And they say, it's incredible the amount of applicants we have come in nowadays that are well-dressed, but they don't make eye contact. They have a weak handshake. They come dressed poorly. They come late, etc., etc. So I think it's about nailing down all those basics, making yourself a really impressive candidate and coupling that with having the grades, having the experience, etc. Because at the end of the day, an employer hires people, not a diploma. So if they have a person who's extremely decorated and comes in that looks like a slob, can't talk and has no social skills, there's no way in hell they're going to get the job. And so I really think it's about making sure all of those details are nailed down and that you've got it down to a team.
0: Yeah, going off on that point on details, something that came up when you were saying that is if you can, on top of that, care about the other individual you know, you're going to be better than most other candidates, right? So obviously, I'm only 20 years old, and I don't have as much experience as I would like. But one thing I noticed as I started doing more interviews was that I started to care less, and I started to have a conversation with someone rather than an interview. And, you know, I would tell them what they wanted to hear. So for example, if it was a sales job, I would talk about the fact that cash flow is king, and that there isn't any better experience than sales lo and behold, you get a job offer. Um, Another one, I figured out what their passion was, which was music. And then, you know, I highlighted that even more. But it's interesting to hear about what you're saying about the little things, because if you listen on top of that, then, you know, you're going to be a great communicator. I think being a great communicator is just those two things, right? It's focusing on the details and listening. So with details, one thing you can do is, have a list of things you have for each of your friends and have their birthdays down, have you know a gift that they would love that no one else knows, Right, all the little details. And those will make a big difference on top of what you said, of course, handshake, body language, et cetera. And then when you meet with them, yeah, just listen, care for the other individual and yeah, practice all of those things. Rant aside, my final question for you is what resources do you look for for guidance? You mentioned people as one i think every single person who's been on this podcast has mentioned people what's another thing
1: another thing in addition to people i'd say is just you know obviously we've got a great thing called the internet that's got a plethora of resources on it so i
0: think yeah that's the second one that people bring up
1: <laughs> because online is so vast and you've got so many sources that you can look up i'd say a third that perhaps a lot of people miss out on is books as well because There's, you know, in my room, I have a whole stack of books from whether it's professional athletes to Richard Branson to all these people, and all of them that I've read probably have contributed a little bit. You know, they're all kind of to do with what I'm interested in, business, sales, sports, but all of them, I've probably taken small messages out of each one that add up to a big whole in addition to everything. So I think reading is also something that can help a lot. And I think another thing that people miss out on going back to looking at resources in terms of people is it's not just the big fishes of the world that you want to talk to it's all well and good, me having a contact of virgin and and everything and thinking that they're the only people to go to, but your family and friends can also contribute massively as well and I think it's something that's overlooked because, for example, you know, my dad growing up has taught me about all of those small things that was all him you know in, in terms of how to approach an interview, how to make other people feel valued and welcome in any given situation. And that all came from my dad, who's someone who left school at 14. So there's always different lessons that you can learn from people, whether it be family and friends, if you take the time to sit down, listen to them, uh, really engage with them. Because even though they're things that may not directly relate to your career, your industry, your job, they still might be things that are useful for life in general. So I think outside of that, as I said, books is another great way to gain information and really, you know, in a way, it's probably better for your mind than the internet because when you sit down and take the time to read through a book and it's not like looking at a video or something that's quick, you know, you need to sit down process, gives you more understanding as well than if you just look at a YouTube video or or read a brief article, you know. So I I think that's quite important as well.
0: Yeah, and with books, there's obviously more of a vetting process than you just uploading a video on YouTube, right? We live in an age where there's just so much content. So one of the things that I you know, preach to people is just listen to the people who have actually done what you want to do rather than the people who just study it.
1: Yeah, you, we've always had those conversations, haven't we? Oh, yeah. Find a model that works, copy it, you know, take information from people who have done what you want to do, know what they're doing and then try and some form repeat it. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, you really don't need to reinvent the wheel. And a big, uh, you know, controversial but good example of this that might piss some people off is, you know, look at Kylie Jenner, someone who seemingly has no knowledge, but just goes to all the respective experts in various specializations. And she, lo and behold, has a billion-dollar company. Now, of course, part of that is because she has so much attention, right? But the thing that I find interesting with that case study is she didn't look up videos on how to do Facebook ads and spend a year trying to become an expert in Facebook ads, right? Yeah. Anything that you want to become an expert in is going to take you, you know, potentially decades, right? And obviously, you want to listen to the people who've actually done it, because as you said about details, they understand the nuances, And so when you said all those things about resources, that came to mind. But there you have it, everyone. Richard Blaney, the man who isn't sure whether he wants to go into sales or become a golfer, but regardless, be in the sports industry. A lot of interesting takeaways from that episode about belief and confidence and listening to people, all sorts. Do you have any final
1: words? Yeah, I think one sort of statement that sums up my view on life and career and everything, you know, it's a saying that I've heard ever since I was young, that hard work beats talent when talent fails to work hard. I guess to sum up in a whole, what I think that philosophy means is that, you know, there'll be in your life as you're going through your career, there'll be a ton of people, waves of people who are talented and who have great grades and who have come from privileged backgrounds and everything. But if you really put your head down get your hands dirty and really show to people that you're willing to outwork everyone to do the little things well, to do all that dirty work, you can beat someone who has immense natural talent. And a great example of that in real life, if we look at sports is football. You know, perhaps the two greatest footballers alive, Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo. Well, Lionel Messi was lucky enough to grow up immensely talented since he was a youngster. He had the skills. He was just an absolute natural born talent but Cristiano Ronaldo wasn't. And he had to work every single day for hours, perfecting his craft, honing his craft, you know, ridiculous amounts, more than anyone else is willing to work. And he's got to that top level. He's got to that level with Messi, perhaps some would even argue exceeded it. It's always a controversial topic. It's like the Michael Jordan, LeBron James thing. But yeah, I just think that if you believe in yourself and you're really willing to have the determination and you're willing to make the sacrifices, and that's what separates great people from all the rest is they're willing to put in that extra sacrifice the extra hours that most people aren't and so if you feel that you know you're not a straight a student you're not at the top you're not naturally gifted it doesn't have to mean anything it means you've just got to put in the hours you got to put in the work show people that you're determined and you'll surprise yourself and be able to reach great heights
0: a thousand percent shout out to Navin manny if you haven't seen that episode make sure you watch it but great points Essentially, what I was going to say is Sydney McCoy, who was one of our guests, mentioned a book called The Miracle Morning. And I listened to a podcast where that author was in it. And this guy is amazing because he was in a car crash and almost died, but survived. And then on top of that, he had what people thought was cancer, and everyone was telling him he had a 30% chance of living. And this was a podcast episode I listened to today. But one of the things that he preaches in that book is figure out the value added by you attaining your goal, figure out what it's going to cost you. And if the value added exceeds the cost, then go into that thing a thousand percent. And so when people say work hard, work hard, work hard, that doesn't need to be in everything, right? Because for some things, the cost for you, it's going to exceed the value. But yeah, I definitely agree with everything that you have told us today, Richard and yeah work hard ladies and gents yeah thanks for being on the podcast Richard
1: thank you as always it's a pleasure and hopefully we'll be able to do this again more in the future
0: yeah and I mean just for listeners to appreciate Richard right now it is 11 for 12.49 like
1: 12, 12.48 yeah in Spain
0: yeah 12.48 in Spain so that's working hard right there or, or that yeah. could be just you being a night owl but yeah appreciate <laughs> you being on man
1: Yeah, thank you. Enjoyed it.